Well, good morning, St. John. How we doing? Everybody good? My name is Greg Brazil. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's good to be with you uh, again. I'm sorry your screen broke. I suspect Marshall, but I can't prove it. Uh, but it's good to be here in, uh, in person. So we're in the book of Hebrews, and we're in chapter 11, spending time walking through uh, a, a longer chapter where the author is, is presenting for us these, some of the greatest names in the Bible, kind of the dream team. And they're all, they're all different. God used them in different ways. They had different seasons, different callings. They were in different places. They had their different ages, different times of history. But what's common is their faith. They believed God. They, they trusted him. They held on to him in hard times. They trusted his promises. They believed his word. Um, though they were afraid at times, though they failed, they sinned grievously at times. They, they kept their gaze on this God. And chapter uh, 11, verse 6 tells us that without, without that kind of faith, we cannot please God. You, you can't walk in God's pleasure, but with this kind of faith, uh, you, you come under the pleasure of God and it releases all kinds of flourishing and peace and blessing into your life as you trust God through no matter where God sends you, that's the kind of faith that uh, that God wants us to have. The question is, how do, you, how do you get there? How do you exercise that kind of faith? Uh, faith is, is like a muscle. You have to build it. You have to grow it. You have to put it through hard things in order to, to exercise your faith and, and grow your faith. Um, this morning, is, we're looking at Abraham and Sarah. Uh, the story uh, in Genesis chapter 12 is kind of where Abraham's story begins. God calls him to go, to leave his family, his kindred, his country, and to just go. Uh, where? Don't know. Just go is what he told uh, Abraham. He didn't know where he was, where he was going. And so uh, Abraham hears that and he goes. He gets all of his stuff and his weapons and his tools and, uh, you know, rounds up his livestock. Sarah, she gets her Stanley mug and they just, and they go. Um, they don't know where they're going. And Abraham at that time is 75 years old. Sarah's 66 years old, somewhere in there. They're, they're, they're getting more advanced in years. Later on, God promises they're going to have a son. At that point, Abraham is 99 and Sarah is 90. Uh, and we'll, we'll unpack this here uh, in a bit. Um, but the point is, he, he compresses a lot into these four verses. But the issue is their faith. They trust God, they believe Him, they hear His promise, they hear His call, and they respond in faith and obedience. I just want to ask the question, why? Why, why was their faith so strong? Why did they uh, do the things that they did? And, and why were they, they trusting God amidst all this uncertainty and, and just going when God says to go? Uh, the answer, there's three things I want to show you. The call, the certainty, and the city. Those are three C words, so if you're writing things down, I worked hard on that, okay? The call of God, the certainty of God's promises, and the greater city that God was building. That's why I think their faith was, was as it was and an example to us, okay? So number one uh, is the call of God. Verse eight, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go. Okay, so there it is. He just, God called him and he went. God said to go. He didn't tell him where, but but he goes. He believes God, uh, that God said, leave your country, leave all this. Uh, here's how it says it in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, and it was Abram then, it became Abraham after the covenant is official, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
Verse four, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. That is faith right there. You hear God's voice and you obey it. Okay, it's, it, it, it gets more complex than that, but in its simple, simplest form, you hear God and you do what God says. You obey him. You respond, you repent, you go, you do something. You put your faith into action. That's what faith uh, looks like. There's no questions here. There's no bargaining here. There's no debating here, at least not in this, in this part. Um, he, just, he just goes. Uh, this is one way that you exercise faith. You, you have faith by hearing God's voice and you do it. Now, how do you hear God's voice? That's another, another issue. Um, for Abraham and Sarah, it seems God spoke to them audibly. God heard their voice in their, in their eardrums. He heard them. Um, God might speak to you that way. God might speak to you audibly, okay? Uh, I cannot guarantee it. I cannot promise it. I've never heard it. That's not the way that God normally and regularly speaks to us. I'm not saying he can't, okay? Uh, and I'm, I'm open to it, though I've never, never heard that. It's just extremely, extremely rare for God to speak to us audibly. In fact, if someone argues that it's normal, you should be nervous. They say, I hear God's audible voice all the time. You should be nervous. That's how documentaries start. Okay, right there. That's where it begins. Okay, you'll be on Netflix soon, and we're going to all, yep, we knew it. We said that, that's how it starts. Okay, so I can't guarantee it. Um, so how does God speak to us today? Um, here's a more, a more certain way are the clear commands and promises of Scripture. God commands something or God promises something. You can be certain, and when you read that, that's God speaking to you and calling you, okay? So here's an example of how, uh, of how it might work. Let's say that you wrestle, as many of us do, with, with money and possessions, uh, you're always thinking about it in an unhealthy way. You're anxious about money, possessions, giving, you know, generosity, all those things. It makes you very anxious and, and even uh, leads to some depression, to, you know, depressive thoughts. And it just, it's very hard for you to, to give and you just, you're, you're constantly kind of clinging to it in your heart. Uh, then one day you're reading Hebrews chapter 13. We'll preach on that. It'll be a little while. But Hebrews 13 Here's what it says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So two things are happening there. You've got clear commands, keep your life free from love of money and be content. Those are the commands. Then you have this promise, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So you can be certain that God is calling you out of, of worldly, your inclination for worldly, you know, fear and anxiety and into trust and faith with your money and possessions. You, you can be certain of that. He's telling you, keep your life free. Fight to keep it free. Why? I'm promising you I won't leave you. I promise I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. So he's calling you. You see that? He's calling you from where you are in anxiety and fear and worry and, and greed and cleanliness into trust and contentment and obedience. That's how he does it, okay? Um, there's more to say on, on how we discern and hear God's voice with things like life situations and big decisions. There's more to say on that. This is the clear way. We start here. This is how you hear God's voice. However, the bigger issue is you doing it. It's, it's certain God's going to call, God's going to speak. The issue is, are you going to do it? Because what Abraham does is he hears the word of God, 
He hears God's voice and he obeys it. And that is what faith is. It's not just hearing this. As James says, don't be just a hearer, be a, a doer of the word. That's the point here. It's, it's not so much the, the calling, it's the caller. It's the one doing the calling that, that is most important here. And the way you see the one doing the calling, God called Abram. The Lord spoke to him. And so when you, when you have that kind of view of God, a big view of God, that's when you obey his call. But if, you're, if your view of God is really low, you're, not gonna, you're just going to hear this and not do anything. It won't bother you. It won't reach down deep into you and cause you to actually take action and make moves. You'll just hear it and then not respond. There was a, there was a book that came out years ago. Uh, the title was, Your God is Too Small. And it was about this idea of, of just our, our view of God. Is just, it can just become so low over time if we don't, if we don't protect our, our, in seeing God as high and lifted up. Your God is too small. I hate rhyming. I said this last service. I hate rhyming. But if your God is too small, you will not obey him when he calls. That's so cringy. And you're going to remember it, though. You're going to remember it, though. But, but you won't. It, won't. it won't reach into you and actually cause you to take, to take some action. Um, God must be the weightiest reality in your life. It's not just some king or some authority or some ruler who's calling Abram. It's the king. It's the ruler. It is the authority. And that's how Abraham sees God. That's how you have to see God. He's, he's got to be huge in your life for you to obey, especially when he calls you to do hard things. He's just, it's just got to be a massive view of God in your life. The Bible word for this is glory. Uh, glory is it's the idea of, of heaviness or weight. Um, whenever my sons were, were younger, uh, they were really underweight. I mean, we fed them. It just didn't work. I mean, it, just, it didn't matter what it was. I mean, if you, you could see through them when the light hits them like just right. And we had this trampoline, and, you know, it was one of those ones that has those, you know, those big nets around it, which we tore down because life doesn't give you nets, okay? I'm trying to raise men here, not, come on. So we tore those off. And so I would run out there some days, and they're jumping, so I would just hop on the trampoline. And if I jump on that thing, they're either falling over and getting trampled by one of the other, other boys, or they're launching into outer space. Why? Because I'm the heaviest thing on there. It, it can't not impact them. I, my very presence is just the heaviest thing, and it impacts them. That's how you see God. He's the heaviest thing. Nothing is more valuable. No one's opinion matters more. He's that weighty in your life. If that's true, when he calls, you will go. And you might not know where you're going. But when he says to do the hard things, you will go. So that's, that's one way faith turns into action, how, we, uh, how Abraham got there. Number two, though, when it gets a little bit more, a little, little messier from here, is there's the certainty of God's promise to him. Verse eight, I love the line, he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, in a land, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. The point is the promise. 
The promise kept him going. The promise sent him out. The promise helped him endure the uncertainty and the blurriness of what's ahead of him and all this. He just was told to go, and so he's banking everything on God's promise. God promised to make him a a great nation and a, a mighty nation to make a great name for him. God promised him that, that he would bless the whole world through his descendants. God promised that, and that's all he has. Again, I love the line, he did not know where he was going. Just imagine for a second, this is 4,000 years ago. Uh, There's no maps, there's no roadways, there's no law enforcement, there's no Airbnbs. You just get your stuff and you just go. You defend yourself. You are your own law enforcement. You just go. And And so he leaves. And it's uncomfortable and it's dangerous and it's risky, but the promise of God was certain. I mean, he, he felt this. You, you've looked out and you look at your circumstances and nothing seems certain. Nothing seems familiar. Nothing seems predictable. Everything just feels like chaos. And what you have in that moment is the unshakable promises of God towards you. That may be all that you have. And Abraham knows what, what that feels like. That led him to take the risk and to go. To bank everything on this God's promise and, and to obey him and do the hard things. Now, as humans, we don't, we don't like uncertainty, do we? I mean, that's just, that's just natural. We don't like risk. It's scary. It's uncertain. It's uncomfortable. We, we like cozy. We like safety, right? We like no, con, you know, cancel any time contracts. We just like that predictability and those guarantees and comfort and safety. That's why you go buy a chair called a lazy boy. It's not called a risky boy, that's called a dad joke, okay? That's just, that's not what it is. You don't buy that for that. You love safety and comfort, and we're surrounded by it, okay? Innovation, technology, it's just all around us. So right now, if you want to today, you could get on a plane, fly to London in nine or 10 hours, and before you get there, map out your entire trip, where you're gonna stay, how you're gonna get around, what you're gonna see, what you're gonna eat, all the restaurants, and be back safely in a few days. You can do that. Now, the plane might crash. There is a chance of that. There's a one in 812 million chance that your plane will go down, okay? Uh, the side might fly off. That could happen. So that, there is a chance of that, but those are pretty good odds, okay? They're pretty good odds. Chances are you will go there, have an amazing time, eat some mediocre food, come back, and it's, you're back in your lazy boy again. It's, it's comfortable and it's amazing. We're surrounded by this kind of innovation technology. I saw this year uh, the Cybertruck comes out. That thing is crazy. Have you seen this? The thing is crazy. I saw one out in West Austin. I think it was Elon. I was, I was yelling, but he didn't stop. Uh, the thing's crazy. It, will, it can outrun a Porsche while towing a Porsche. It can out-tow a Ford F-350. I'm a Ford guy, okay? It out-tows a Ford F-350. It just drives over Chevys like they aren't even there. You don't even notice it. The thing is bulletproof, okay? Your car is not, all right? Just so you know that, movies are lying to you. It's not bulletproof. If bullets are flying, you got to get out of the car. They will not help you, okay? It just goes right through. Not with a Cybertruck, though. It's bulletproof. Now, will it get to Dallas? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) You may be at Waco for a while or stuck at Bucky's eating peanut brittle. I don't know, but it's to be determined, okay? But this is what we're immersed in. 
It's technology and innovation and safety and comfort and predictability. This is what the modern world thrives on. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's very good at times. But here's the problem. It can make us so soft. It can make us so delicate and so fragile and so afraid of hard things and so afraid of risk. Uh, It can make us so easily offended and so afraid to offend someone else. I mean, no wonder we're so risk-averse when it comes to things like this. We're, We're trained to be safe. We're discipled to be comfortable. That's what the whole thing is. We don't even realize it sometimes. So here's a hard question. When's the last time you did something really hard, something painful, You're like, I did a cold plunge today. That's great. That's a start, okay? That's a hard thing. Keep on doing hard things. And I'm I'm talking about gospel stuff, kingdom stuff, hard conversations that you know that you should have, confronting idols in your own life, deep repentance, the hard things. Uh, Easy is the road that leads to destruction. Hard is the road that leads to life, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. That doesn't mean that you earn your salvation. It does mean that you might have to suffer for the salvation that you already have by grace through faith. And so I'm not saying that you, you know, just go take a risk for its own sake. I'm not saying to quit your job and buy a motorcycle or a cyber truck. But if you do, call me. But the, the, the point is you follow the Lord into hard things, into difficult things, that's, that's life, that's joy in that, that's flourishing, that's your faith actually in action. Abraham, all he had was God's promise, and that's what endured him. Now, let's look at, uh, look at Sarah. Uh, her story is interesting because verse 11 says, so she's presented as this example of faith for us. Sarah is. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Again, we're back to God's certain promise here. So like Abraham, she's banking on God's promise and God's faithfulness. When you read her story, though, in Genesis uh, 18 is one of the main places, she hears about the promise of a son. Uh, In fact, she overhears. God tells Abraham she's in the tent, and she overhears God talking about them having a son. Abraham's 99, okay, she's 90, and she hears they're going to have a son. You know what she does? She falls on her face in worship and writes a song. No. She laughs. She laughs. And the laughter, the laughter is not this, this gratitude of God's faithfulness and God's favor. It's more of, you've got to be kidding me. It is doubt. It is skeptical laughter that there's no way this can happen. She's 90 years old. I read a, uh, a commentary on Genesis 18 just prepping for this. Here's, the guy literally said this. This text indicates that Sarah's reproductive years have ended. You think she's 90? I think they ended decades ago, okay? 90 is not the new 30 any way you cut this, Okay. Abraham's 99, and the text says that he was as good as dead. He's walking, he's a corpse walking around. They're going to have a baby. Now, to be fair to Sarah, uh, I should point out, whenever Abraham hears about this, he also laughed. He falls on his face, and he starts laughing, because the idea just seems so out, outrageous. Uh, but chapter 21 of Genesis, 
Verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So on the one hand, you know, Abraham, he hears God's voice that says to go, and he just goes, no questions. Then he hears God say, you're going to have a son, and starts laughing, because it's laughable. Sarah is the same uh, is, is the same way. They, they struggle with this. The idea just seems, how in the world can God do anything with this, this situation? There's, no, there's nothing here for him to work with, it seems like. But uh, obviously, their eyes were opened. Because again, they're presented to us as, as examples of faith here. So just imagine that nine, years of preg- or nine months of pregnancy, that, that every month that Isaac grows in her womb, their faith grows. You realize that? They're thinking month one, okay, this might happen. Month two, okay, this, this may happen still. Month three, month, month this is going to happen. And, and all, those, all those doubts and all that skepticism, it begins to recede as God, his promise just is more and more fulfilled in them. And so here's what happens in Genesis 21. And Sarah said, this is after she delivers Isaac. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Uh, Isaac's name means laughter in, in Hebrew. Has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And this is the laughter of faith. This is the laughter of, look what God did. I can't believe this, but look what God did. The promise, it came true. It took it forever, but it came true. And, and she, again, she is presented to us as an example of faith. So what, I think what this means for us is that faith is often messy. There is a sense in which in times God says, go, and you just go. You just, you respond. There's other times when you hear, you hear God doing something, and you sense God moving you to something, and you don't want to do it. There's skepticism, there's doubts, there's concerns, there's fears, there's a sense of which I can't, there's no way God is gonna do this. There's no way I can go through and believe this. You can still bank on God's promises and still exercise great faith, but have some doubts. You may still have some issues to work through and some concerns to face and some, you know, some skepticism to confess, and that's okay. That's, in fact, that's how your faith grows. Your faith grows when you walk through the hard seasons, when you ask the hard questions, when you confront your doubts. That's how your faith grows. And I would argue if you never acknowledge that, your, your faith's not going to grow. You're not going to build that muscle up in your life. And I love, what, I love what God does through all of this. You know what God does through all their skepticism, all their laughter, all their just questioning this? You know what he does? He doesn't curse them. He doesn't take things away from them. doesn't judge them. He just keeps promising to them and working in them. He just keeps on. He just endures and goes. He's patient with them. You know, Jude 22 says, um, have mercy on those who doubt. That's what God does to you. Through all their doubts, he just keeps on unfolding his plan and revealing himself and showing his promises and putting his glory on. He just keeps on doing that. That's what he does for you. In, in the midst of your skepticism, your doubt, your fears, your concerns, all of your calculations, God is working his plan and his promises to never leave you, to work good for you. All the promises that he has for you, they are certain in the midst of that. And he just keeps on, keeps on working, keeps on unfolding. And the question is, do you believe that? 
Um, my wife and I, we went to see the movie uh, last weekend, uh, The Iron Claw, uh, starring Zac Efron, who, by the way, was shredded. I don't know what that boy ate or what he, how he worked out, but we're a long way from High School Musical. I mean, that's it a long way. That's not why I went to see it, okay? That, uh, the story, it's a true story about the Von Erich family. Uh, the dad, they, uh, they were, he was a wrestler in the 60s and 70s, the fake kind. You knew it was fake, right? That's the fake kind. And uh, so he always wants a world title, never has a shot at it, but he has five sons and he trains them in wrestling. And they all, in some form, they, they travel the country, they're, they're, they make this big name for themselves in the wrestling world. Um, but then tragedy starts to happen pretty quickly uh, in the life of these, uh, of these brothers. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but they all die except for Zac Efron's character. Um, you had 40 years to read it, okay? It's not like it's front page news, okay? So, but it's so tragic. It's so sad. I have three sons, and all of my worst nightmares are happening in this movie. There's like suicide, drug overdose, car accident. I mean, it's all terrible. We're just sitting there, you know, eating pizza, just sad watching this. So you should check it out later after service. It's really great. But what's interesting with the story, and I think this is true, is that they, the family, the narrative was the Von Erich family is cursed. They believe that. The dad, in fact, they're from Texas. Not a lot of Von Erichs native to Texas, but he, his name was Atkinson. They changed the name to Von Erich to get out from under the curse. They thought they were cursed. That's why all these terrible, I mean, terrible, terrible things are happening. And I thought this week as I was reflecting on that and it's kind of stuck in my head and, and thinking of this. And I, I wonder if, if anyone in our church thinks that. Maybe you wouldn't use the word curse, but maybe you think that, that God's kind of moved on. You're second class in the kingdom. I had someone tell me about eight years ago in, in our church, in a very low point, say to me, I think God's kind of done with me. You ever thought that? I think God's kind of done. We had some good years. He used me. We did some things. But I think now he's kind of moved on to other Christians, and I'm, I'm just kind of second class now. And so as a result of that, you, you no longer dream big things for him. You're not trying to take any new ground. Um, you don't pray big prayers anymore, and maybe you once did now, because you, you think that God is no longer active in your life. And that's a hard place to be. If you were there right now, in a room this size, my guess is some of you are. I'm sorry. I, that is a rough spot to be in. Can I just gently tell you, though, that you're wrong? You're just wrong. That, that is a lie that you have chosen to, to embrace and kind of take in, and it's just not right. God's promise is certain to you. You may not see it right now. You may not have any evidence of it right now out there, but I'm telling you, the promises of God, he won't leave you, he's working good, he won't forsake you, he will endure you to the, all the promises, they are certain and you can bank everything on them. There's a place where uh, C.S. Lewis talked about this. He, he wrote a book years ago called um, The Screwtape Letters. It's a fictional you know, conversation between two demons. Um, uh, Wormwood and Uncle Screwtape. And Screwtape uh, Screw is sort of mentoring Wormwood on how to um, confuse and tempt a Christian. 
uh, and there's all these conversations on how to best, like, you know, all their tactics and things. And it's all in reverse. So the father is the devil and the enemy is God, like that kind of language. Um, there's a place where uh, Lewis is talking about what we're talking about, uh, trusting God in the midst of, of difficult seasons. Here's what uh, one place where Lewis talks about this or what Screwtape says. He says he wants them to learn to walk, talking about God. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, Ask why he has been forsaken, and still obeys. That's faith. Some of you have been there, some of you are there, that you look out and it seems like every, the hand of God is nowhere in your life. And you may even say, God, why have you abandoned me like this? but you still obey. So if, if you're in that season, you holding on is the most important thing in your life right now. You holding on to God's promises, testing God's promises, his certain promises, it's the most important thing in your life right now. So all that you have, all that you have, may, God's promise might be the only thing you have right now. All you have to hold on to right now. So faith is not the lack of uncertainty. Faith is moving through all of that uncertainty, banking on God's promise for you. That's what Abraham and Sarah do. Number three, and I'm, and I'm done, uh, is there's a greater city that God's building that Abraham is looking forward to. Now, I'll have to admit, I don't know what all this means. Uh, look what uh, verse 10 says. Um, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. I have no idea what that means. Um, in terms of like what text, that's really helpful, right? I'm the guy with the answer up here. So the, the text in Genesis does not show us anything like this, okay? So, but the author knows more than, than we do. What, what he's getting at is that Abraham saw beyond the things just in this life. That, that he looked beyond Isaac and the land and the blessings of the nation and his descendants and Israel, and he's looking past all of that, and he's looking at what God's going to do in the heavenly realm. I don't know when he saw that. I don't know when he was looking at it. I have no idea. But he saw, he looked beyond and saw God's doing something more here. There's more going on here than just him making a land and forming a nation. There's more going on here than just Isaac and promise and all the, and the old age having children. There's more going on here. And, and the author says that he set his eyes on this. I don't know what he knew. Uh, I have no idea if he knew that one day one of his descendants would come and die to save the world. I don't know. But here's what Jesus says about this. It's interesting. John 8. He's talking to the Pharisees about Abraham. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. He saw my day and was glad. Now, I don't know what text that is. I don't know what story that is. I don't know where, what, what connection Jesus is making in Abraham's life. Jesus knows because he says before Abraham was, I am. So he knows exactly what goes on. But Abraham saw his day and it gave him great joy. 
Now, again, I don't know what that is. It's hard, though, for me to read Genesis chapter 22 and not think of this. Um, Genesis 22 is when God tells Abraham to go and offer up his son Isaac on the altar and sacrifice him. It, it was to test his faith, is what the, the, the text is clear on. And so Abraham goes. He gets up. He gets Isaac up. He uh, gets the fire, gets the wood. They walk up this mountain And Isaac asked the kind of begging question, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? What are we killing here? And Abraham says, God will provide, son. Play with your iPad. We'll we'll get there. Okay, so that's kind of how it seems. We got God's God. He's going to provide for us a lamb for the offering. So he goes and he binds his son on the altar and he's about to kill him. But God stops him. There's a uh, ram caught in the thicket. He takes that. Instead of his son, he, he uh, uh, sacrifices the ram. He names the mountain, the Lord provides, or the Lord will see to it. Now, I don't know if Abraham knew that one day there would be a greater son and a greater sacrifice and a greater altar. And a, I don't know if he knew that, but, but we do. We know that God would send his one and only son up a mountain carrying wood, carrying a cross on his back, and God did not spare him. There was no one to take his place. God, the the, the knife was dropped on him, as it were. He was crucified in our place, and through that son, that glorified, resurrected son, God's making all things new. God's making a new city, a new Jerusalem, a new heavens, a new earth. He's making all things right I don't know if Abraham knew all of that, but we do. And if Abraham was looking forward to some city God's building in in the future, how much more should we who know exactly what we're talking about? That through his son, he will make all, all things new. And so our eyes must be there. Our hope must be there. That's how we keep on enduring hard things, keep on pressing in, keep on enduring hard seasons, banking everything on God's promises, trusting his voice in our life through his word. This is how we can get there. Let me pray for us and we'll, we'll sing together. God, we're so grateful that you You call us to have mercy on those who doubt, and God, I'm thankful that you have mercy on us who doubt. But Father, we don't want to. We don't want to stay there. We want to have faith. We want to trust. We want to believe that you're working, that you're near, that your word is living and active in us. And so, God, you know where we are right now. You know know how to measure our faith right now. Some of us are enduring some hard seasons and and we're trusting and we're believing, though it's painful. Others are just barely hanging on. Maybe some of us just have the sense that you're not working, that you're not active. We can't see you in our life. And so we're, we're just so tempted to live for ourselves and just look at this world and be mesmerized by things around us and, and neglect you. So God, you know, you know what needs to be done. You know what, you know what repentance looks like for us. You know what increasing our faith looks like. So God, we thank you that you never stop working. You never, you won't leave us. Your promises are certain that your, your word is clear to us, that you promise us in your word and that, God, we can bank everything on that. So Father, give us more faith. Grow it, strengthen it, 
God, help, uh, we believe, but help our unbelief. May our eyes be on you. May our eyes be on that day when your son will make all things right. God, that day is coming. Help us to Help us to not belittle that day and to not neglect that day, to not forget that day that you are going to make the world right, God, and that is our hope. Father, where else are we gonna go? We don't, we don't have anywhere else. We wanna trust you and, and lean on you and cling to you in all things. And so God, would you help us? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's go ahead and stand and